Hoi Mora. Hoi Mora. G-O-E-I-M-O-R-A. Hoi Mora. That means good morning in Afrikaans. My wife and I just returned from South Africa. We were there for about eight or nine days. And we did a full seminar on Revelation, um, spent a lot of time talking and visiting with our church family down there in South Africa at a place called Drakensburg, out in the mountains, a beautiful camp. And we also got to go to safari. And we saw real live elephants and lions and hippopotamus and giraffes. We got really close to a giraffe. A couple of elephants chased us a little ways. One was running from another one, and we just happened to be in the way. And we saw rhinos. We saw everything from afternoon till late night. And it was really fun. It was really a blessing. It was kind of a bittersweet for me. And my wife, we, um, she says, say this as, you know, in relationship to if the Lord leads. Um, but it was our last trip, basic seminar together. Um, I've s- stopped traveling as most of you know, and I'm now doing more um, local uh, ministry, church ministry, discipleship ministry. But I had committed to this a couple years ago, and so we were just following through. So it was kind of our our last trip together. Reese also did some health talks, and um, that was really cool. Opened a lot of doors for people to talk to her about health, and there's a lot of uh, different needs down there. So it was really nice. But we're back after traveling for two days. We left uh, South Africa at 3 a.m. Wednesday morning, your time, this time. And we arrived here at 7 p.m. Thursday night. So it was quite a lot of travel. We went home, we went to bed, and we woke up at around 5. This morning we woke up at around 5. And we kind of like that transition. Like we've transitioned now to getting up early and going to bed early. So um, you late-nighters, don't, don't ruin that for us. We want to we stay on that. We are studying the book of Ephesians. If you'd like to open up to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll just catch you up to where we've been. Oh, and welcome to the young students from Columbia, Milo. Glad you're here. Hope you're settling in there to the dorm, and hope you enjoy your time here. We are um, in Ephesians chapter 4, and just to kind of review where we've come from, the first three chapters of Ephesians have been just saturating our minds and our hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that's been accomplished for us, by Jesus. He is our righteousness, meaning he has died in our place as our substitute, taking care of the penalty of sin, and he has lived a perfect life in his life, taking care of the requirements for heaven. So he is both our fitness and our title for heaven. When that righteousness is given to us as a gift, it transforms our lives, and we live for him. And so Paul is talking about that transformation in chapters 4, 5, and 6. 4, 5, and 6 have to be connected with 1, 2, and 3, because without 1, 2, and 3, you don't have 4, 5, and 6. And as Adventists, often we try to jump to what God is going to do for us and does for us without pausing in what he has accomplished for us because we couldn't do anything for ourselves. And so Paul is emphasizing in Ephesians chapter 4 that we need to walk, but in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he emphasizes first we need to stand. We could say that the summary of the book of Ephesians is stand and walk. Stand and walk. And that's what we're looking at here as we get into Ephesians chapter 4. Let's pray together as we get started. 
Father in heaven, we just want to pause again in your presence. I want to thank you for my church family. Thank you for their prayers. Thank you for the prayers of um, those that have been for um, our blessings, our needs. Be with those who aren't here. Continue to guide and direct them. Thank you for your word. As we open it now, we just pray that you will bless us. Um, we've already prayed once. Um, Cedric prayed for me, and I just want to pray one more time just to ask that you'll be not only with myself, but with each and every heart here. Um, you know where uh, each one of us is, where, we've, where we struggle, where we are, we're being blessed, where, where our journey is. And I just pray that you'll move us along, Father, and help us to build one another up as we read these words. May your spirit teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 17. That's kind of where we left off. And we're just going to read through these verses, and I'll make a few comments, and we'll see what it is that God is trying to help us to understand in the context of this section of Ephesians. Ephesians 4.17, This I say, therefore, and that therefore has to do with everything that's gone before this, the gospel, and the, the need for us to come together as a body in Christ. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you, from now on, do not walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Now, that word vanity means immorality. In the immorality of their minds. I want you to walk differently than the rest of the world walks. Don't walk the way the world walks. Now, he's not talking about literal walking here, like, you know, taking one step after a time. He's talking about the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live, the way our lives work out, what it looks like in our life. Don't walk the way the world walks. The world is walking in immorality. Don't walk that way. Now, there are many reasons for this. A lot of times we think it's a prohibition, like, don't do that, that's bad, it's wrong, don't be that kind of person. But, but Paul really here is trying to save us from the consequences of the world, from the things that, that happen when you walk in that way. Because what we have in the world is we have this disappointment that we experience. We have expectations, and they fall short. Expectations, and they fall short. That's the way the world is. The world is out for itself. The world is out for me. Self is number one with the world. With God, you're number one. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has given us everything. He just gives, 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 and he gives to us. So with God, you're number one. With the world, we're number one. I'm number one. So Paul is basically saying, don't walk in this worldly way, in this immoral way, because in that way, you're just going to get hurt. You're going to... You're gonna, fail, your expectations are going to fail, but if you walk according to God's way, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be taken care of. God is going to bless you. So then he goes on and he says, now, verse 18, having the understanding, this is talking about the way the world walks, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, that is separated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So here now, Paul is talking about how the reason why people are blinded and ignorant of God is because they choose to be. God, in other words, has given light to everyone. God loves everyone. He's given light to everyone. John 1, 9 says, this is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. There's no reason why we should think, any one of us here should think, God doesn't care for me. God doesn't love me. God isn't interested in me. God is interested in every human being. And so Paul is saying the only reason why we're alienated from the life of God is because we're either ignorant and, and in darkness. There's no reason for it other than that. 
You can be enlightened. God wants to give you understanding. Verse 19. Who being past feeling, that is sympathy, being past being sympathetic, have given, given themselves over to lasciviousness or the practicing of immorality to work all uncleanness with greediness. The world is greedy. The world is immersed in immorality because of what it does for them, because of how it makes them feel. And their past sympathy, that means, that's what the word feeling means. They don't have sympathy. For example, when you're in a situation where you're dealing with people in the world who are just thinking about themselves and are selfish, when something happens to you, they don't care. There's no sympathy there. They're not sympathetic to who you are and what you are. Now, as we're reading these verses and God is describing the way the world operates, I want you to think, I want you to to understand that God's way, his character, the way he thinks, is completely contrasted to this. If If you read these verses and you see how the world acts and feels, just think exactly the opposite is the way God acts and feels. God can't say this through his word unless he feels and acts exactly the opposite of the way the world is feeling and acting. So God, in other words, does have sympathy for us. God does not live in uncleanness and greediness. God is unselfish. God is always thinking of us. He's always putting us first. He's other-centered in the way he thinks. And he's very sympathetic and understanding toward us. That's the way God is. So Paul isn't saying, listen, I want you to have this moral checklist. You've got to do all these things right. Otherwise, God's not going to like you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the reason why I don't want you to act this way is because the consequences for acting this way are in themselves. You are going to find yourself being devastated, overwhelmed, disappointed time and time again if you live the way the world lives. Because you're not going to find the sympathy, you're not going to find the love, you're not going to find the fulfillment that you really want, that you were created to have. You're not going to find that in the world. So I want you to realize this is the way the world is. It's unsympathetic, it's unfeeling, it's immoral, it's unclean. Pull away from that. Don't be part of that. That's why he says in verse 20, but we, you, have not so learned Christ. You haven't learned this. This is not Christ. This is not Christian. You haven't learned this. You've learned something completely different. You've learned how to be sympathetic and understanding and unselfish and other-centered. That's what you've learned. You haven't learned the way the world lives. And so you want to step out of that now. Verse 21. If so be that you have heard him, Jesus, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If you've learned about Jesus and you've been taught about Jesus, you're going to see that Jesus is completely different from the way that the world is. The world is one way and Jesus is another way. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to be completely alienated from the world. You're going to be completely separate from the world and the way they operate is basically what Paul is saying. And then he goes on in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 24, that you put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. It's kind of like, you know, clothes, like a suit jacket. Take off the old man. Take off the way you used to think and put on the new man. Think differently and let your mind be renewed. Now, the reason why he's saying this is because many times we can't help but rub shoulders with people that are in the world. 
I mean, we're, we're, we're in this world. This is where we live. This is where we habitate. We have jobs we go to. We have people we connect with. Not everyone is a Christian. Not everyone is a believer. Not everyone is like Jesus. And so as we rub shoulders with people like this, it's, it's possible for us to be influenced by them and to slip back into the way that they live and the way that they practice. So Paul is saying now, we need to put this off. We need to, verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now this is where it gets kind of practical, because Paul here isn't speaking at this point about other people. Now he's speaking about us. And sometimes it's easy for us to just kind of like categorize everyone out there as doing the bad stuff, and we're all doing the good stuff. But Paul here is saying, you guys need to think about how you tell the truth, how you speak. And sometimes, you know, we think, well, I'm, I'm a truth teller. I'm not a liar. I know those politicians. They're, you can't trust those guys, right? They lie. They lie all the time. And, and, and I know people that lie all the time, but I'm a truth teller. But, but then, you know, as a husband, your wife might ask you one morning, honey, how do I look? And I'm just using that as a little example. It gets bigger than that. It gets a lot bigger than that. We live in a very fake world. This morning as we were having pastor's class, someone came in. I said, how are you doing? And they said, basically, I'm going to put it in my terminology. They said, do you want me to be honest or do you want me to just say I'm doing fine? And so I took them through a verse in James chapter 1, verse 2. And this is, this is one of my favorite verses when it comes to being real, when we aren't doing so great, right? James says, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. When you're struggling, when you're going through trials, when life is hard, when things aren't going your way, count it all joy. So now when people ask me how I'm doing, if I'm not doing so good, I say, well, I'm counting it all joy. I'm being honest, I'm being positive, and I'm being real. I'm counting it all joy. Because right now I am actually struggling. I mean, it is actually hard. I'm having a difficult time. And I think sometimes that's not acceptable in church. That's not acceptable in Christianity. That's not acceptable in our society. But the fact of the matter is, if we can't be real with one another, and if we can't work through our issues with one another, where are we going to turn? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? We're stuck. And a lot of times, a few of us, maybe some of the younger members who are just unable to deal with the plastic life, will kind of verbalize what they're struggling with. They'll kind of let it out, you know, maybe even just act out, because they just are done with all this pretense. And, and the next thing you know, you know, everyone's whispering and gossiping and, and talking about how terrible those people are, or what a terrible thing happened with that young person or that other person. But all of us who are older, we know, if we'll search our own hearts, we know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that but for the grace of God, there go I, that we're just as bad, just as wretched, just as, as sinful as the other person is. But we don't want anyone else to know that. We don't want to talk about it. And Paul is giving us some advice here that I think is really practical. As he moves into this next verse, there's a text here, verse 26, that seems to be completely out of place. It's, it's kind of a strange verse. I've wrestled with it for a long time. And I think I've given a sermon in, on this in this church, on this verse, but, but I want us to just cover the ground again because I think it's really important. He says in verse 6, he says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down in your wrath. 
neither give place to the devil. And I'm like, that is really a strange verse. That is really a strange verse. You have something you want to say really bad. she died mm-hmm. and asked her how she was doing and she hardly had any voice anymore she could hardly talk you know she would say I'm doing better than anyone <laughs> she never complained you know wow. it was such um, inspiration because she was in a major pain you know mm-hmm. uh, pain medicine didn't help her anymore mm-hmm. she would scream you mm-hmm. know and she would be home alone you mm-hmm. know we were with her of course mm-hmm. I mean um, when people would visit her she would be tough you know but mm-hmm. otherwise she, she was in her deathbed and wow to the last breath, she praised God. She said thank you, and she did not complain. She was mm. not a complainer at all. Wow. And um, we found for ourselves also such a good phrase to answer how we're doing, you know, because you d- we don't every time differently, you know. Mm-hmm. We always should uh, praise God and don't forget the blessings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the good, uh, the good way that also my grandma was say when people ask her how she was doing, you know, through her life. She would say, by God's mercy and grace. And Amen. I thought this was so wonderful. And Amen. By that. God's mercy and grace. Counting it all joy by God's mercy and grace. So how do we do that? How is it that we can find ourselves in a place where we can count it all joy and yet be real? Ephesians 4.26, I think, is a really important principle It's a verse that I struggle with for a long time, and I think the reason why I struggle with it is because not only does it seem out of place, okay, he's going along, he's talking about don't live the way the world is, don't live the way the world is, don't live the way the world is, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be angry. I'm like, what? It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. You're moving along through this contrast between the world and not being like the world and then being like Jesus. And all of a sudden it says, be angry. But the thing that's really difficult about it is it says, be angry and sin not. I'm like, now that is a major contradiction. I mean, if you want a verse that seems to contradict itself and then contradict everything in its context and make people think, well, the Bible might not be inspired after all because the Bible's telling us to be angry. Aren't there other verses that say we shouldn't be angry or be slow to be angry at least? Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. And this is what I've realized. This is what I've come to understand. And it's really in the context of the rest of the Bible. Because I think this verse actually only makes sense when we look at the rest of the Bible. Have you ever read the Psalms where David is moving along? This man after God's own heart is moving along. And all of a sudden he breaks out with this manifestation of, of anger. I mean, he seems to be really upset, and he talks about how he wants God to just just crush people out, to just consume them, to just dash them on the rocks and just just take them out. You ever read that kind of stuff? You're like, well, uh, uh, let me keep reading here, and then you get some, you know, you get some good stuff, and you're like, okay, I don't know what that was, but that was kind of a that was kind of you know when when Reese and I were traveling um, from South Africa, we went from Joburg to Frankfurt. That was about a ten hour flight, and Reese, bless her heart. She actually fell asleep. I just, I'm not able to do that very well on, a, on an airplane. And, and at one point when she fell asleep, the captain came on in his German accent, 
and he said, we're going to be hitting some turbulence. All the flight attendants are going to have to sit down. Or they're right in the middle of doing something, and everyone put your seatbelts on. And we hit some turbulence. And there are times, you know, I've flown for many, many years, and there are times when I hit turbulence, when we hit turbulence in a plane, I'm like, oh, yeah, that feels good. And there are other times when I'm like, Lord, please get us to our destination safely, blah, blah, blah. And this was one of those times. And Reese slept, slept, slept through the whole thing. She didn't wake up. When she woke up, she was, and I told her, you know, and she said, we had turbulence? I said, yeah, it was pretty bad turbulence. Pretty bad turbulence. And I think that's the way it is sometimes when we read the Psalms. We're like, we hit this little rough spot, you know, or maybe we hit this little rough spot, and we're like, well, whatever that was, you know, and then we go on. And we don't really stop and say, what does that mean? What does that mean? Be angry and sin not. What was David thinking when he was, when he was letting it out? And what I think is, is because we don't stop and find out about that, we miss out on a very vital part of our Christian experience. And I think that vital part today that we need to understand is, is that there is a place in the Christian experience for us to be angry. We need to give place to anger and not to the devil. Because I believe one of the reasons why we act out, one of the reasons why the Gentiles do all the things that they do, one of the reasons why we have such a hard time as Christians being Christians is because we don't allow ourselves to be angry. Let me just qualify this in a good way, in the way that God wants us to be angry. We bottle it all up. We stuff it all down. And then we act out. We, we, need a, we need some kind of addictive behavior, some kind of something to just numb us from all the anger and all the pain that we're feeling. And so we go from one addiction to the next addiction to the next addiction to the next addiction. Some of us are addicted to food. Some of us are addicted to drugs. Some of us are addicted to media. Some of us are addicted to, to religion. Religion is another addiction. You know, we get addicted to end-time events, or we get addicted to certain people or certain ideas or certain whatevers, whatever it is to mask the pain that we're feeling, the struggle that we're feeling. And so Paul here is giving us an opportunity to be real. He's giving us an opportunity to actually move through and process our anger. What are you angry about? Don't even let a day go by. Don't even let the sun go down. You can process this anger. Well, how do you process this anger? What do you do? Well, you speak Every man, the truth to his neighbor. Man, that's hard to do. I mean, Reese and I have been going through this a lot in the last few months. And we've been married for 29 years. And one of the things that's really helped us is this discipleship ministry we've been doing because part of this discipleship ministry with the interns has forced us to be real with one another, to have real talk, to actually talk about stuff. And so sometimes we'd be sitting in class and someone would say something and, you know, someone would be hurt by it and we'd just kind of stuff it. But then the next day we'd come back and we'd have our talk time and they'd say, you know, I got to bring this up. Yesterday when you said so-and-so, I didn't like that. Everyone's shocked. What? What kind of Christian is that that you told someone you didn't like it? Well, they were just being real. I didn't like that. I just didn't appreciate it. And so we start talking through this stuff. And now pretty soon... It's not when someone says it the next day it's brought up. It's right then in the next class or in that moment that we bring it up and we start talking about it. And we talk our way through it. Speak everyone the truth with his neighbor. Who, what, how are we supposed to relate to our neighbor? We're supposed to love our neighbor. So it's not necessarily that we're speaking the truth in anger, but we're actually speaking the truth. 
we might be angry about something, we might be struggling with something, and we're going to let that come to the surface. We're going to talk about it. We're going to communicate about it. We're going to get it out. So when we were in South Africa, we were, um, again, Reese was asked to do some health talks. She wasn't, like, there to do health talks, but I just thought, it'd be cool if you could do some health talks. And she said, okay, I'm willing to do health talks. And I said, great. Now, you got to understand, Reese came over there with me, sick. She was fighting the cold, and I just thought, she's probably not going to want to say anything or do anything. So when I asked her, I was surprised. So she has these PowerPoints, and they have some stuff that they're wanting her to talk on, the Banting diet specifically. So she prepares all these PowerPoints. She's getting it ready, because they asked her last minute. They said, the Banting diet is just really crazy popular over here. Could you talk on that? And she says, okay, I will. So she gets the slides ready, and just before the meeting, she goes up to the IT guy that's doing, you know, all of the whatever, and she says, I've got these slides for my presentation. And I'm standing there, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what happened, but this guy was not happy. He was not a happy guy. Basically, you know, last minute, I don't have time for this. I've got all kinds of stuff coming in here. This is a young man that's with Abundant Life. I've got all kinds of stuff coming in here. He's an Adventist Christian. I've got all kinds of stuff coming in here, and I can't believe you. Give me this last minute, blah, 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 blah. He's not happy. And I'm just sitting there, Reese's there, he's there, and I'm just sitting there kind of taking all of this in. And I really have mixed feelings about it. I have mixed feelings, because five years ago, ten years ago, ten months ago, I would have thought, what kind of Christian is this, right? So, so I'm, that's my, one of my feelings. But the other feeling is, wow, I'm really, it's really cool to see somebody who's willing to talk about how frustrated they feel right now. That's my other feeling. So at one point, I'm like, he's talking to my wife this way, and at another point, I'm like, Good for him, talking about his feelings, how he feels. Because I'm thinking in my mind, Reese and I are going to process this with him. Like, we're going to go through this with him. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. I don't know how it's going to happen. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen because that's what we're doing. We're just, like, being real. So we go through the process. He gets the stick. He, you know, eventually gets the PowerPoint done. And I'm just up there preaching after Reese's done. She gives a great health talk, by the way. And... I think it's all online with um, Abundant Life, whatever. They've got a YouTube channel. Abundant Life has a YouTube channel, and you go to that YouTube channel, and you can watch all of the sermons I gave and all the sermons Reese gave. So we get done, and later on, Reese talks to me. She says, you remember that guy? What was his name? Do you remember? Mm. Um, remember that guy that talked to me? Da, da, da? And I said, yeah. And she said, you'll never guess what happened. I said, what? And she said, he came up to me, and he apologized. And we started talking. And we just communicated through and talked through this whole thing. And he shared with me his frustrations and how everyone comes to him at the last minute. And he's there for an hour before the program starts. But nobody gets him the stuff an hour ahead of time. They all dump it on him at the last minute and expect him to get it all organized and all done. And Reese said, I just, you know, I just felt sorry for him. And I just, it helped me to understand. And I just felt, because, you know, of course, you want to, we want to get mad. Like, how could he talk to us like that? But Reese was like, I felt sorry for him. And it helped me to understand where he was coming from. And we were able to talk through it. And we just kind of connected. And it was a really good experience. I was like, praise God. That's what I think Paul is talking about here. He's talking about being real with people, not being angry with them, giving them what for and storming off. You know what I'm saying? That's not the way he, what he's talking about. He's talking about being real with people in a way that you can explain how you're feeling and what you're going through at this time. And that's exactly what David does all through the Psalms. For example, look with me in Psalm 59. This is one that I believe we might have looked at before if we've covered this ground, but I want you to just look at this as an outline for how to process anger. Psalm 59 
And I'll give you a little bit of background. David right here in this psalm has been mistreated terribly by Saul. Way worse than Reese was treated by this audio guy. Way worse than that. Saul is trying to kill David because David is, from Saul's perspective, is like this young man that has everything going for him. And Saul feels jealous. Like, is this the guy that's going to replace me? Like, is this going to be the anointed? Is he going to take over? And so Saul throws a javelin at him and tries to kill him. Even though David's there to serve him, he's playing music for him, he's like trying to meet, uh, um, 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 minister, there you go, minister to Saul. Um, Saul just gets angry with him. He throws his javelin at him. David takes off runs to his house, to his wife, Michael, who happens to be Saul's daughter. Michael puts a dummy in the bed with some goat's hair. David slips out the window so no one sees him, takes off, and Michael pretends that he's sick in bed. And finally Saul says, get the whole bed, and they get the bed, and there's a dummy in it, and they figure out he's gone. That's the context of this, okay? Saul takes off, and he's out in the wilderness. He's running from Saul. He's really scared. He's upset. And he says, first of all, number one, Verse first, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. That's the first thing that, that we need to think about in this outline, what to do with anger. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help. So he goes to God and he says, help me, God. Deliver me. That's what he does. H. We could say H. This is the acronym. Help. H. Then the next thing he does, verse four, 3, is he explains the situation. For lo, they lie in wait. For my soul, the mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression or for my sin, O Lord. So he explains the situation. So he says, Lord, this is what happened to me. It's not my fault. Help me, H, and then explain E. And then just jump down with me to verse 12. Then Paul, I mean, David just lets it out. He just lets God have it. He says, consume them for no for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and for lying which they speak verse 13 consume them in thy wrath consume them that they may know that they may not be and let them know that god rules in jacob under the ends of the earth so l david lets god have it god just just take them out all his anger all his frustration just just take them out god And then finally, P, H-E-L-P, help, P, the last thing he does, verse 16, but I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy. He praises God. H-E-L-P, he asks God to help, he explains the situation, he lets God have it, and then he praises God. That's the process he goes through. That's what Paul is talking about, this process. Is there something that you're angry about? There's a lot of things going on in our church today. There's a big, you know, possible division that's going to take place between the GC and the NAD and you know I mean everything just kind of looks like it could fall apart at any second how's your life your personal life how's your relationship with your husband with your wife how are things going at work what's going on in your own life your own health your own walk with God how about your past are the things that you struggle with let's talk to God about it let's talk to God about it if you have issues let's go to God and ask him to help you explain to him the situation in detail and then tell him how you feel. Get all those things out of you. All those things out of you. Don't give place to the devil. That's what he says in verse 27. Don't give place to the devil. Get it all out. Get it all out. Because what's going to happen is if you keep stuffing that down inside you, somebody somewhere is going to pay for it. 
they're going to push a button that's going to trigger that hatch to open up, and everything's going to come flying out. And you're going to explode with anger. That's what road rage is all about. Road rage. Road rage. You're driving down the road, and you pull out in front of someone, and that little bit of act causes them to pull out a gun and start shooting the... You know, I mean, they're going nuts. Why? Because it's not about that incident. You understand? That incident simply triggers. It simply pushes a button that opens up the lid on all the stuff that we've been stuffing down, and it just explodes out. That's what's really going on. And God wants us to be able to process all of that so that when we're in a situation where we may even feel justified in getting even with somebody, we don't. Let me give you an example. You know the story right here, right? We just went over it. Saul's trying to kill David, right? Well, guess what happens later on in the story? David finds himself hiding in a cave, and Saul comes in with one guy. David's got all his men in there, and Saul comes in with one guy. And David's men say, Whew! This is it! This is an answer to prayer! Praise God! God has delivered your enemy in your hand. Just say the word. We'll take care of it. I'll put a spear through him. I only have to do it one time. I know exactly where to put that thing. Saul won't be moving after I'm done with him, right? And what does David say? No way. Don't do it. Don't touch Saul. He's the Lord's anointed. His men are like, wait a minute, this guy's trying to kill you. What are you talking about? And by the way, you can put that S on the end of H-E-L-P. Helps S. Surprise. Because when we go through this process of explaining our situation to God, asking Him for help, explaining our situation to God, letting Him have it, and then praising God, we are going to be surprised at how we actually end up relating to people who hurt us. See, when you process your stuff with God, you have a completely different attitude in the way you relate to people who hurt you. You've given it to God, you've processed through it, you've let it go, and now you're praising God. And when you come in contact with people who hate you, who disrespect you, who abuse you, who take advantage of you, who speak and gossip about you, you have a completely different way of processing that because you're all good with God. That's the way David was. That was why he was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't that he pretended. He didn't have to be plastic. He didn't have to be fakey-wakey. He could be real. But he was real first and foremost with God. And as he was able to be real with God, then he could have genuine Christian experience with people. And man, it was so genuine that when Saul died, David wept. Here's a man trying to kill him, and he wept for him. That's what God can give each one of us. But how does it happen? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and finish out the chapter. It's really powerful. Looking at the rest of this chapter, notice what it says. We'll start with verse 26 again. Be angry. Go ahead and be angry. Talk to God about it. Let him have your anger. And sin not, because when you're angry with God, you won't sin against people. God will take that away. He will. He'll take that away. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. If there's anything, anything, anything on your heart tonight, today, take it to God. Take it to God. Take it to God. And if you need to, talk to people about it too. After you talk to God, process it through with people. You need to give place to the devil. Don't give him place. Don't let him have all that stuff that's stuffed down. Don't stuff it down though so he can have a place in your heart, a root of bitterness in your heart. Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have, that he may have to give to them him which needs. So, so work hard. Be diligent. Take care of your stuff. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the, edi- the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Have you noticed how easy it is for us to be critical of other people? It's just easy peasy lemon squeeze. I mean, it's just like a natural thing for us to do. Why? Because we're frustrated. Why? Because we've got all this stuff that people are doing, all the, 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 that life is bringing on us, the way that people treat us, the way that we interact, the way that, 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 that hardships and trials come to us, and we can't process it. So our only option now is to justify ourselves by criticizing others. And, and let me tell you, there's nobody, not in this church and not in this world, that doesn't deserve criticism. We're all failures. We're all faulty. We all have problems. So Paul is basically saying, there's one of two ways you can deal with the failures and faults of others. You can either be critical of them and put them down, or you can actually try to edify and lift them up. The only way you're going to do that is if you're able to process through all of this anger and all of the struggle and all these trials that you go through with people. And you know, sometimes we need to do it right away. It's like, okay, 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 right now I'm struggling. Get in your closet, go to your car. That's a great closet, portable closet, right? Get in there and just have this prayer time with God. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to actually talk to the person that you're struggling with too. My wife and I have been having these conversations and they're, they're, at first they were really hard, but they're getting easier. They're getting easier to process through this stuff. Because, you know, the person that you struggle with the most is the one that you live with. You live with. It's the one right in your presence, like right in your, like right in your way <laughs> sometimes, right? That person. But notice what it says here. Don't let this corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the redemption. It's so easy for us to slip into that critical, negative attitude, and we grieve the Spirit of God, and then we wonder why we don't have the power of God with us. Where's the Holy Spirit? How come the Holy Spirit's not working with us? Well, maybe we've grieved the Holy Spirit of God because of the way we've been communicating. And our communication and our our processing of communication, sometimes it's justified. I mean, sometimes, when I was in South Africa, I I was just, I gave him a little challenge. I said, okay, I said, I just want to give you a challenge. I said, I'm going to name a name And I want you to think about what kind of thoughts you have because our words proceed from our thoughts. So I'm going to give you a name and I want you to think about what kind of thoughts you have that are going to get prepared for words that you might speak. So they're all like, okay, we're ready. What's the name? I said, Donald Trump. Everyone started smiling. But some of the people said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 you need to give us a different name. I said, what name do I need to give you? And they said, you need to give us something Zuma. Is it, Zuma? Is it Zuma? You guys don't know. The South African president. He's worse than Donald Trump. You know, he's like, and so I did that, and they're like, yeah, that man, we've got, yeah, we've got some corrupt communication that's about ready to come out of our mouth right now. We're struggling right now. And see, that's what David was doing. He was struggling with this political leader, this king, who was actually trying to kill him for no reason whatsoever, trying to take his life. That's, that's really, in a sense, an example of every struggle that we go through. The unfairness, the way that you treated me, the way, why did you say that? How come you didn't? What, what is it? Why are you? And all of that, Paul is saying, is preparing us to grieve the Spirit of God. Don't do that. Verse 31, let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger. Now, there's a difference between wrath and anger here. Wrath in the Greek here is passion, being passionate. Anger is the action, putting that passion into action. You can be passionate in a negative sense or a good sense, but in this sense, it's a negative. You can be passionate. You know, people can be passionate. They can get in each other's face and they can be talking passionately, but they don't do anything. They don't actually act out violently. But wrath is the passionate part, but anger is in, in the Greek here is when you act out on that wrath violently. But all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Clamor, like I'm clamoring for, like I'm, oh, I just want an evil speaking. Notice how wrath and anger are right here with evil speaking. Evil speaking. We put away from you with all malice. Malintent. Bad intent. What's your motivation? You know, we can even do nice things with malice. We can use things that are good to be malicious toward people. To kind of put it in their face. To kind of like, you know, give them a little jab. But we're being nice. We're being good. This is a good thing. <laughs> but my intent is malicious. Let all of that be put away and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This is all the opposite of what we read about the Gentiles in the world. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, the only thing that I want to close with right now for this whole message, for every point I'm trying to make, is this last verse. It is vital, absolutely vital, foundational for us to understand and to take in, to take a hold of how Christ has forgiven us. Because everything Paul has just said, everything he's just said, is predicated on, depends on, understanding how Christ has forgiven us. Do you see that? Everything he just said, he comes to a big conclusion. He says, basically, this is what I want you to do. I want you to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So, I'd like you to think about this. I want you to think about how Christ has forgiven you. Just think about that. Because many times, the way we relate to others, the way that we interact with others, is based upon, listen carefully, our false understanding of the gospel. If we do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot be expected... Oh, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Sorry about that. Put a tape on the end of there. If we have a misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot be expected in any way to actually be able to experience what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 32. There's no way. If we think, for example, that part of our salvation is earned by our works, by the way we behave, by our goodness, there's no way we can forgive others until they get their act together. Until they started being good, until they started behaving. Once they start behaving, then we can forgive them. Now, if we understand the gospel, that while we were sinners, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. That his love for us came before we changed our behavior. Before we did anything good. That he saved us in spite of ourselves, and that he longs for us to see that forgiveness because it will transform our hearts, then, all of a sudden, we have a completely different way of approaching people that have hurt us. 
We're ready to forgive them, not because of their good behavior. We're ready to forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. So it's vital for us to understand how Christ has forgiven us because that's a bridge that we need to cross. The forgiveness of Christ is our only way out of all the bitterness, all the pain, all the struggle, all the heartache. And and if we are not willing to let others cross that bridge, there's no way we're going to be able to cross that bridge. If we're pulling that away, if we're not allowing, if we're not letting the forgiveness of Christ be the thing that we express to others, how can it be expressed to us? How can we receive it if we can't give it for others? And so God is basically saying, you need to understand one thing. When Christ Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place. All the punishments, all the justice, all the penalty that you deserve, he took it. He took it. He forgave you. He took everything that you deserved. He took it away. Now, forgive others as he's forgiven you. Forgive others as he's forgiven you. That's the bottom line of Paul's message in Ephesians chapter 4. But it's predicated on chapters 1, 2, and 3. We've got to understand the gospel if we're going to experience this message. Each one of us has an opportunity today to follow these principles to be angry and sin not. I'll be by my bed tonight and I'll be thinking through my day and I'll be thinking about anything that upset me, anything that, you know, did Gabriel neglect to say hi to me at church today? Was he not friendly with me? Was there someone that was cold or indifferent? Did someone look at me funny? Did someone, right? I'm going to process all of that through with God. Is there something between me and my wife? Is there something I'm not feeling... What is it right here that is in my heart? I want to give it to God. I want to give it to God. I want to give it to God. And then I want to be able to lay down and be at complete peace. And maybe I need to send a little text message or a little something to somebody. I don't know, but I want to be at complete peace. I want to forget those things which were in the past. All the pain, all the sorrow, all the disappointments, all the ways people have hurt me. I'm starting new. Right now, I'm starting new. Every single day, I'm starting new. You're a new person. You're a new person. You're a new person. We have a new relationship right now. I'm giving all that past to God, all of it. I'm processing my anger responsibly because if we don't learn how to process our anger responsibly, responsibly we will process our anger irresponsibly. We will. We're going to process anger. Eventually we are. So God is saying, I want you to learn how to do this. Process this anger. Get it out. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Those are your verses, church, for today. Those are your verses. But they're all predicated in Ephesians 4, 32. Don't forget that. That's the bottom line. That's the foundation. How many of you want to say, yes, I want to have this experience today. I want to experience freedom from anger. Amen. Praise God. He sees every hand, every heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for guiding us through it step by step. Thank you for helping us to understand what it means to be angry and not sin. To not let the sun go down on our wrath. But to allow that forgiveness to come to others as it's come to us through Jesus Christ. We give you our hearts, we give you our lives, we give you our, our deepest hurts and pains and sorrows, and we ask that you would work them through with us. Help us to process them out. Help us not to be plastic, not to be fakey, but to be real with ourselves, with you, and then with our neighbor, to speak the truth in love. For we ask it in Jesus' name, and let everyone say, Amen.